mental I toughness can override physical tiredness, mm. I believe. Look at mm. our pastor, the Iron Man. Do you know why he can run all that stuff? Why? It's not just because of his body. It's because of his mind. Mm. Mm. My mind weak. said, this is a low point in the movie. I can take a little nap and uh. I bet I can figure out what happens. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church, where every single week, Pastor Matt Brown brings real answers to tough questions from the Bible and elsewhere in the world. I'm your friendly pal, Justin Party, hanging out with my magical friends, Stephanie, Stephanie Schaefer. Schaefer. What's up, guys? Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mansplain your own name Thank over, you. Over I appreciate here. that. Wow. And Pastor Matt, I will allow you to introduce your own self since I... Yeah. yeah. Somebody told me this week that I should put on my license plate the PMB, but then everybody's going to know when I'm speeding. Mm. Mm. You know what's a, just a horrible thing? You know, the Lord already me. knows when you're speeding. The license plate that I have right now is Mrs. PRD because I gave that to my wife when we got married. Because you're mm. so selfless. Mm. I want the PRD for my license plate, but it's already taken by someone else in the state of California. <gasps> you, it gets worse. This person lives in Riverside County because <gasps> people send me photos of it and they're like, who are you? Where are you driving? Like, no. I want that license plate. I can't have it. Well, if you've so seen the car in the license plate, find them. That's a good idea. See if you can any, pay them out. Any uh, police officers that know how to do this kind of thing that I see on movies and TV shows where you track somebody down via license illegal. plate. That's actually illegal. Well, listen, if you want to send me a private Facebook message, we'll yeah, keep it secure. Illegal. Okay. Yeah, you're asking a police officer to commit a crime. I'm just saying wow. if they want to Here talk about if they want to talk about something that might help me out, I'm willing to have that conversation in a parking lot after church. Okay, they're called law enforcement officers, mm. not law breaking officers. Okay. Mm. Well, we're gonna live and learn. That's one of my <laughs> mottos, right? Live and learn. That's each I'm, new day. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, before we jump into the show, we are gonna be debriefing more than a manger, the kickoff of Pastor Matt's incredible 2017 Christmas series. Of course, we got some follow-up questions about answers to questions, but I wanna tell you guys, we as a church right now are going through our year-end giving campaign where we are inviting you guys to help us launch three new church locations in 2018 as we move toward the launch of 500 Sandals churches. Uh, so next year, we're gonna be opening up Sandals Church Banning, Sandals Church Palm Avenue, which is in Central Riverside, where we are recording from right now. Well, we're not recording there. We're in the city of Riverside. We are in Riverside. Palm is in Central Riverside. We're basically in barely Riverside. Like the yeah, outskirts. we're at the like, edge of Riverside. Yes, exactly. And then we're also opening up Sandals Church San Bernardino. As a church, we are trying to raise an additional $500,000 by the end of this year, which is actually pretty doable because every adult who attends Sandals Church, if we were to, uh, if they were to give $100, we can make that goal. For those of you guys who listen to the debrief every single week, who are appreciating what we're doing here, I promise we are not leaving you out of our 2018 plans, and we would love to invite you to uh, help support what God is doing here at Sandals Church. If you want to do that, it's so, so easy. All you have to do is text give debrief, give debrief, two separate words, to 951-900-4120. Just pull out your phone, open up the text message area, type in 951-900-4120, type give debrief, and then uh, make it happen. We would be so appreciative. All right. That's right. Well, and if you want to learn more about this whole year in giving campaign and what we're Ooh, trying yeah. to do next year, Great we've idea. developed a whole website about that at sandalschurch.com slash launch. We've got a video from Pastor Matt on there explaining what we're up to and what we're hoping to do next year. So if you want some more information about that and what we're trying to do with this extra $500,000, check mm -hmm. out sandalschurch.com slash launch. It will also be in the show notes for this episode at debrief.show slash 91. Man, yeah, I saw our Palm Campus on oh, Thursday yeah. mm -hmm. um, when I missed the uh, Sandals Church Workday because uh, my foundation slab has a leak. Oh, yes. That was lame, but I got to go and uh, it looks beautiful. So yeah. if you've seen the Palm Campus here in Riverside, the, uh, the exterior is almost completely done. So mm -hmm. completely painted. We've taken all the dry rot, termite stuff. The windows all the way around the campus are completely redone. And now we're starting to work on the coffee shop, new bathrooms and a new worship center. So yeah. pretty, pretty cool, man. I'm super excited. And thank you for everyone's generosity who's been giving. It's fantastic. So we're able, you know, the more you guys give, the, the less money we have to borrow. So that's fantastic. So right. we're super excited about that. Well, uh, Stephanie told us about sandalschurch.com slash launch where there is a video of you. And uh, I love videos of you on the internet. So It's kind of weird. Oh, I was trying to do a smooth I'm transition. Really that was not smooth. what you're going to do It here. was going to be so smooth before, but then you talked about Palm, which I think was good. Yeah. And I just couldn't come up with a new transition, so I went with the original one. Yeah, mm. that's the danger of pre-planning. You got to learn to pivot. Yeah, ooh, pivot. Mm. Yes. All right, fair enough. Well, Pastor Matt, you let, but let's let's pivot directly into some great content from Pastor Matt. <laughs> that was a go. horrible transition. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Just trying to be real, let yeah. the people know what's going on inside the mind 
of me. Uh, well, let's go sure. inside your mind and hear mm. what's going on inside Whoa. there. Uh, you were talking to us before we recorded the show, and we were like, oh, we've got to get this on the on the show today. Uh, as you were talking about the Supreme Court is hearing today uh, a new case that you were yeah, interested you, in. This is uh, really, really important for those of us who want to practice religious freedoms. And so it's the made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and it's the case of some bakers in uh, Oregon uh, who did not want to make a cake for a gay wedding. And um, a court, currently the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that that's one of the consequences of living in a democracy is sometimes you have to do things that violate your conscience, which I think is a really, really scary thing for those of us who are religious or have a conscience. So even mm-hmm. if you're an atheist and you have a conscience, I think it's really, really scary when uh, the government can make you do things that you don't want to do. And so I think it's important for Christians to understand that um, you know, uh, you're not allowed to discriminate because of race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, um, or any other reason, and and that's I agree with that. I think people should be treated as equals and as Americans. But if you, um, for example, are African Americans and you own a bakery, and um, uh, a Ku Klux Klan member comes in and wants you to design a cake for their Ku Klux Klan rally, I believe that you should be able to object to that because mm-hmm. you have every right to not participate in something that you believe it does not. Um, agree with your right to expression, your right to freedom of expression, uh, to your faith, to your conscience. And, and I think that that's one of the things that makes America beautiful. And so I think that it's important that we all pray that as we go forward, that uh, the LGBTQ Q community would have rights as they should have rights, but those rights should not infringe upon the rights of others. And so we need to move forward. So be praying for that as the, um, the court hears that case, because ultimately it's going to have huge ramifications for uh, all religious institutions everywhere, if the government gets to decide what is and what is not religious practice or religious conscience, that's just a really, really scary thing uh, for us. So be in prayer for that. Whether you're a conservative or a liberal, this is something that you need to be in prayer for and you need to be paying attention to. Um, so, because it's a big deal, mm-hmm. it's an absolutely um, huge deal. So, for sure. Well, uh, let's before we jump into and actually start debriefing this sermon, we've got a follow-up question. I love these because they are questions about answers to questions, and this one comes. I from, love when my answers confuse. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I your think they answers encourage in, people to dig deeper. Exactly, Whoa, they you. just invite additional. Mm. It's like a great Stephanie appetizer. just got a mental race right mm. now. Oh, I'm working on one. I'm working <laughs> yeah. on one. Sometimes you your answers, yeah, you got to get in there faster. Your answer is like a great appetizer leading up to a mm. wonderful feast of knowledge, future, wow. future mm. wisdom. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you how to kiss up food. to the boss one on one. Everybody exactly. listening, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then more answers come around. As, more questions come around as a dessert. Wow, I don't know. Okay, no, right. that was good. Let's try it. Let's yeah, that was it. almost poetic. <laughs> yeah. By the way, how did they get you in that manger? <laughs> yeah. Was that uh, thing reinforced? Reinforced? No, that was. Li- can I just? I'm just gonna be real. If you've not seen this, you can just go to Soundstrike's YouTube. I'm laying in a small manger, which on my way to the set they said, "Don't worry, we built you a manger," because um, they told me I had I to get into a manger. I didn't. It was literally a like a small sheep's manger. Yeah. I think we just got it off Amazon for fourteen dollars. It was like cheap little balsa. Wood. I know. I looked at that before you got there and thought this is gonna be interesting. Oh, it was terrifying. And the yeah. whole time I'm sitting there, I can barely move. I had a pain in my right back fat area for mm. two days from where I was getting poked. And then mm. I was holding a crunch like you wouldn't believe. Workman's comp, bro. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine that case, how, that being hurt? How, how, do, how were you hurt? I was lying in a manger. Wait, what? <laughs> I work for a church. It's normal. <laughs> yes. Then everyone left and yeah. I, I had can to you, get can out you of the Can you imagine the judge and explain to me how you were the baby Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> Why did they pick you? They yeah. all just stood there while I tried to get out of the manger. No one could help because it was on video. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, this uh, follow-up question this week comes from Ellen, who says, a few weeks ago, you had a question on the show from a couple who attend Sandals Church regularly, but sends their tithe to one of their parents' churches. Your answer leaves me wondering if it's okay to be regularly involved in two churches and give a partial tithe to both. Yeah. I think ultimately what you need to do is pick a church, but I understand sometimes there are circumstances and situations, oftentimes, oftentimes during... Um, you know, a time in your family life where maybe, for example, you've been going to a church long, for a long time and they don't have a youth program. That's when I usually, I encourage uh, families to participate, um, to constantly make decisions about the family for the benefit of the children. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's absolutely important. And if the church adopted that philosophy universally, churches would never shrink. They would con- continually grow. But ultimately what churches do is they choose the older generation at the, at the expense of the upcoming generation. And that's why mm-hmm. churches die. And so what I would do is constantly make decisions about church attendance. You know, what church has the best program for your kids is involving your kids in ministry and doing the most amazing things for your kids in ministry. And I think that that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I think it's important that, you know, you teach your children 
Um, I, I, I would leave sandals and I would go to the church where my kids were connecting with. I just would do that because I want to make sure, as long as it wasn't a cult or something weird, right. I want to make sure that I'm encouraging that because ultimately the thing that's most important to me as a dad is that my kids know and love Jesus and then they're learning about him and following him. So having said that, if that's not the case, I would encourage you to really pray about, is God leading me from one church to another? And really, really try to dive in and involve because when you're involved in two churches, you're probably not involved to the level that you need to be at either. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think you need to be all in, in the local church, whatever you attend. So that means you need to be serving there, you need to be attending there, and you need to be giving there. And those are the three things. And so you need to be all in. You know, how, how can you be getting, how, how can you be working on relationships in two churches? You know, it's, our, our, all of our schedules are, are really, really difficult to manage. And so how am I going to juggle, you know, two, yeah. two different churches? And so I just would encourage you to choose one. And a lot of Christians today have kind of this buffet mentality of church. And so they go to this church for the worship and this church for the community group and this church for the teaching. And they're not plugged in or giving to any of those. And you really need to dive in because a part of your spiritual growth is serving. Mm-hmm. A part of your spiritual growth is, is, is giving. If you're not serving and you're not giving, you're not growing. And that's the reality. And so you need to tackle those issues. Church is not just about hearing a good speech or hearing good music. It's about being a part of a family. And I can imagine, you know, if I told my wife, hey, I'm thinking about taking on another family and I'm going to divide my attention between (laughs) our kids and you and another woman and you. I mean, that's going to be an interesting conversation that ends up in counseling um, or in a court of law. At best. Yeah. So you really, really need to... Uh, and that's not to say that other families aren't important, but not at the expense of my family. And so you really need to be concerned about the one church that you are serving. I, I encourage you to go all in where you are. And if God is leading you ultimately to somewhere else, you need to go all in there. And um, that's the same advice I give to everyone. I believe that all church movement should be the result of the Holy Spirit working in you and convicting you to make a change. Uh, we shouldn't leave churches lightly, I mean, quickly. We yeah. need to be mm-hmm. be very, very careful that we don't become church hoppers because a lot of people are, are that way. There's kind of a circuit um, where people just kind of bounce from church to church to church. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, um, you know, like, you know, if over the past 20 years you've been involved in 10 churches, it's just like if you've been married six or seven times, that's probably you problem. You need right. to look at yourself and say, okay, what am I not figuring out? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying that's this person's case. I'm just saying, in our current church culture, people church hop way too quickly and way too soon. Yeah. Get in, get committed, get excited. You know, is it a Bible believing church? Are they preaching Christ? You know, uh, is, is it a place where God is moving and God is working? And I, and I would be a part of that. No church is perfect. No mm-hmm. church is going to meet every need that you have. So that's just a reality. Yeah. Stephanie and I have some friends who are moving up north for like a job opportunity in the new year. And he had talked about, I think he was saying, you know, while they continue to try and find a church, when they move up there and try and find Mm -hmm. a permanent church home where they're moving, that they were going to continue to watch Channel Search Online and tithe here in the interim. And I thought that was really cool because, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're moving and transporting in a new city, it would be a nice time to have like a 10% extra expendable income. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought their commitment to that was really cool. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that should, and what that is, is true commitment. I mean, it just is. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're committed to the kingdom um, until we find a local church to, you know, funnel that that kingdom money to. And so that, I think that that's just shows incredible amounts of maturity. Yeah, I totally thought mm-hmm. it was awesome. So this weekend we kicked off our More Than a Manger series. It is time to debrief your sermon. We got a bunch of questions about mangers, Christmas. Uh, no, nobody except you wanted to know how I got into that manger. So yeah. that one's already out the way. Yeah, that was the, that was a Christmas miracle. Yeah, the magic of Christmas. <laughs> Why ask? How does Santa get down that chimney? We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Justin in a manger, Santa in a chimney. Yeah, yeah I right see the on. parallels. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Thanks, appreciate that yeah. one. Okay, so Pastor Matt, in your sermon uh, this weekend, you talked about how in John's personal story about Jesus, he uses the word, word, to tell us who Jesus really is. Why is this a significant starting point as we start to think about Christmas? Absolutely, because he's bigger than just the historical person of Jesus. And so Jesus is a historical person who was born somewhere around, you know, probably four to six AD. We're not exactly sure. And um, because the calendaring system is off a little bit, so our zero is not a zero. Um and so he was he was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so he that's who he was as a human being, but he's also in terms of prophecy the Christ, the Messiah. So Christ mm-hmm. is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So he's that person, but John is telling us he's even more than that. He's trying to increase and enlarge our perspective. And so um you know like if you really want to know what John is saying, you know, read Jewish commentaries that reject Jesus hmm. because they they tell you exactly what John's saying. I mean, they are 
unequivocally clear is Jesus isn't just the Messiah. He isn't just the Christ. He's the cosmic king of the universe. Hmm. I read that in a Jewish commentary and that's, and that's, he's exactly right. That's what John's saying. Jesus isn't just global. He's not local. He's not just global. He is universal. He is cosmic in, in terms of his redemptive force and power. And so the word is this universal um, power that exists not just in creation, but outside of creation and before creation. And that's so important today. You know, when people say things like Mother Earth, well, there was a time when Mother Earth did not exist and there will be a time when Mother Earth does not exist, right? It, Mother Earth is a created thing. And I'm simply using that term because that's the term uh, that people use that kind of worship the earth. And, and the earth shouldn't be worshiped, but it should be appreciated. It should be valued. Mm-hmm. It should be cared for and treated. But it's, it's the creation. It is not the creator. Mm-hmm. We don't get our life from the earth. We get our life from God who's created a system by which where we are... Uh, it depended upon the earth for sustainable life. So we need to understand that. So the word is, like I said, in scripture, it means something in the Greek language and it meant something in the Hebrew language. And really what it did is it kind of united both the non-Christian world and the Christian world on Christ. It centered them. um, And really it would have been the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world on Christ. And it unified them in such a way where it was a talking point that both a very religious Jewish person could start from and a point where an educated Greek could start from or an educated um, Roman or mm-hmm. Persian or Egyptian. So it would have been a conversation piece to bring people from all over the known world at that time immediately into a very, very real conversation that this Jesus, um, and I know I made the joke about, you know, like if you're Hispanic, a lot of guys are named Jesus. Well, in the day and age of Jesus, a lot of people were named Jesus. It wasn't, I mean, simply his his name. And we sing songs about that, the name of Jesus. Yeah. But really the name of Jesus represents something because Jesus represents something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not his spoken name that's powerful. It is who he is that's powerful, invoking the person of Jesus, which is the son of God, which is the word of God in John 1. That, that is who we're calling out to. It's something bigger than any name. Um, and so again, uh, you know, Jesus has many names and, and you can go through that in the scripture. I mean, he's called Prince of Peace, Mighty God, uh, um, you know, oh Lord God yeah. Almighty. Yeah. Okay, stop that. That's how it goes yeah. in one of the songs. Yeah. Sang so, so much yeah, no. he, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star. I mean, there's all kinds of names for um, Jesus because he was anticipated forever, but they didn't know he was going to be Jesus. They just knew that he was going to be the Messiah. So mm-hmm. that's why I think it's important that we understand that he's more than simply a historical figure. He existed before history started. And that's why understanding him as the word is so important. Mm. So... I just was thinking about maybe if I recorded some bonus content of Justin Pardee sings the hymns for our debrief listeners, mm-hmm. it could be like a like an add-on prize for people who text give debrief to 951-900-4120. What do you guys think? Let's just let them give out of the abundance of their hearts yeah. and okay. not record that anywhere. Yeah, somebody has giving on his mind. So I al- almost think in this situation, it would have been better for the scholars to transliterate, which means leave mm-hmm. the word logos. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning was the logos. The logos. And the logos was with God and the Logos was God, because we don't know what Logos means. Right. Mm-hmm. So it automatically helps us to investigate, whereas the word in English connotates something much smaller than what right. it actually means. Mm-hmm. Um, because the word English, you know, for word simply describes a word. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't um, mean anything bigger or broader than that. And mm-hmm. so, um, the, and they did that with the word baptize. So the word baptize is simply the Greek word, which means to immerse. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so there, there are there are instances when the translators do that, but it usually, it's usually for political and religious reasons mm. to, you know, keep people from understanding what was happening. Right, right, right. So, okay. So Alejandra wrote in. She says, "I was raised Jehovah's Witness from the time I was born, with so many rules and guidelines to follow throughout my childhood and teen and adult years. One of the major policy was always the non-celebration of holidays. The belief is that Jesus was not born during the winter, amongst other reasons, making the celebration of Christmas just unnecessary." So in this last service, you mentioned that the fact that the Bible does give us the time, season, or place Jesus was born. Can you please help me comprehend more of the importance of Christmas as a Christian and why we should rejoice during this time? Yeah, absolutely. So let me clarify what I meant. We don't know what season Jesus was born. We know what nation he was born in. He was born in Judea. We know what city he was born in. He was born in the city of Bethlehem. And we know what period he was born in. He was born under the reign of King Herod, the Great. So the great builder of Jerusalem. So, so we know roughly, and that's why I said, 
the birth of Christ is not dated accurately. So even the year could be two to three years off because of the dating system. So they're not, we don't know the precise time. I'm simply stating, we, we know more about Jesus than any other historical figure. And it's not even close. I mean, we know exactly where this, the town, the, the city and the time period in which he was born. That's what I was trying to say. We don't know if it was spring, winter or fall. You know, we don't know those things. And the, and the New Testament doesn't seem to be concerned about that. Here's why we <laughs> should celebrate Christmas. We should celebrate the coming of the Messiah. That is something that was foretold. It was something that was anticipated. It's something that Abraham, you know, it's something that Moses and Elijah all looked forward to and longed for and wanted to see the coming of this great King. And so we celebrate that coming and we do that, you know, I think it's great to do that at a time of Christmas because everyone else, and again, why is this important? Non-Christians are already celebrating this holiday. It's a great opportunity to talk about who God is. Mm -hmm. It's a great transition. And so I think the Jehovah Witnesses were foolish to kind of reject that, you know, uh, that holiday because it's, it's an opportunity for them to naturally express their faith in who they believe Jesus is. And I think it's a miss. And, you know, Jehovah Witnesses historically have just made mountains out of molehills. I mean, they just die on hills that you shouldn't die on, like no birthdays, no holidays. And they have, in my opinion, ridiculous reasons for that. They are right that, um, you know, we, we don't know when the time and season is, but they ran around for a hundred years telling everybody that God's real name was Jehovah and there's no Jah. Mm-hmm. That's that, that comes from the Germans. So it's Yah. <laughs> so they got the name wrong. So, or at least the pronouncement of the name wrong. And and even now most educated Jehovah Witnesses will admit that, but it's, it's a little yeah. funny. That. Yeah, it is cool how our whole culture, we'll talk about this. Lindy and I had our kids at Disneyland on Sunday and you have Thor, the guy who plays Thor in the movies up there reading uh, the gospels, you know, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, talking about the birth of Jesus and its importance. And yeah. it's like, this is just a place where we normally say believe in wonder and dreams and stuff. It's cool. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, for for the world, it's it's, you know, myth, it's legend. For us as Christians, it's reality and it's our savior. And um, man, if your kids can participate in that and listen to Thor read the story of Jesus, I mean, that's that's great. It is pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. So Joseph sent in a question and says he's hoping to get some clarity as I'm usually in a theological conflict with myself during this holiday season. I understand that Christmas is what we make of it, despite its inception during the era of Constantine, along with its pagan traditions. But why doesn't our Christian culture celebrate the biblical holidays or feasts that Jesus and early Christians celebrated? I know the common argument is from Colossians 2.16, which says, so don't let anyone condemn me for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. But doesn't it make more sense to participate in and learn about things Jesus and our Judeo-Christian family was involved in? Yeah. So the first question is, is who cares what the holidays were? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were pagan things, but they're not now. Mm-hmm. It represents the birth of Christ. So to me, to me, that argument makes no sense what it was. So, so Jesus and who he was overcame pagan holidays. Yay. Move on. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand the fascination with somehow it's tied to some ancient uh, non-Christian rite or ritual. Okay. But it's not now. Jesus mm-hmm. is victorious over those things. Mm-hmm. He conquered that culturally. So let it be whatever it is now. So you know, if his dating system is right and it was switched under the rule of Constantine, okay, for the last 1700 years, um, you know, the winter solstice has been celebrated as the birth of Christ. Okay. Yeah, great. I mean, because we don't know when it is. So Mm -hmm. December 25th, well, the winter solstice is the 21st, but December 25th is as good a date as any other day to celebrate Mm -hmm. the coming of Christ. So the next question is, why don't we celebrate the Jewish holidays? And I would just say, why would we celebrate the Jewish holidays? Why would we celebrate? Okay. Why would we celebrate the Day of Atonement? Mm-hmm. The Day of Atonement is about seeking repentance and forgiveness from God for the year. We don't do that. We seek forgiveness in God forever through Christ. Right. So I think that Acts fifteen settles the issue. You do not have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. That is what's important. Now, if you are Jewish, I think it's important that you continue to celebrate those holidays and be with your Jewish friends because you want them saved and you want them to know Jesus and you want them to fall in love with God's ultimate plan for their salvation. Absolutely, you should continue to do that. But listen, I I would like people in our church to be Christian, Mm -hmm. but I have no ambition or desire whatsoever for them to become Jewish. My gosh, you know, the Bible says, and Paul says that the purpose of the law was to teach us that we can't follow the law. Mm -hmm. I mean, that. Anyone who's honest in the pursuit of the 613 laws that ultimately conservative Jews settled on was going to realize real quickly, you can't do it. You violate it all the time. And so 
that's why we worship Jesus for who he is and what he is. And, um, you know, we don't celebrate, you know, the, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, we had it on the show last week, uh, the, the feast, festival, the yeah. festival feast. So when they go out and they camp and, you know, and they remember when God fed them from manna. Well, we're not mm-hmm. fed by manna, we're fed by Christ. We talked about in la- that, that in last week's episode. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of those things. So we don't need a history lesson in what that was. And we don't need to have a, an unhealthy fascination with Judaism. We need to have a healthy and worshipful attitude of following Jesus. And so he is commanding us and teaching us what things we need to do. And so we need to look at scripture and what Paul says and what John says and what Peter says and the other writers of the New Testament. And we need to devote ourselves to those things, which really are summarized in love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's basically the tenets of what we need to do. Be a better person in the name of Jesus. And mm-hmm. that's what we're supposed to do. Um, we do gather together on a weekly basis to remember that um, the resurrection of Jesus is why the church historically has worshiped on Sundays. It's resurrection Sunday, the first day of a new week. And so we do that on a regular basis, honoring and remembering that once a year. We remember Easter, uh, where Jesus Christ is crucified and laid in the tomb for three days. We remember those days but really the only two ordinances we have in scripture, and the word ordinance simply means orders. Um, The way that I read it is we are to break bread on a regular basis, which is to participate in the Lord's Supper. And we are to baptize those who repent of their sins and follow Jesus. So those are the things that that we do, that we're ordered to do. And then when we come together, like we talked about last week, let there be a word, a song, a hymn, only have a couple people speak and make sure that you conduct your uh, religious ceremony in such a way, your Christian religious ceremony in such a way that it takes into account non-believers are present. Mm-hmm. Explain things, let let people know. And, you know. and so that's what we need to be doing. We need to not be going backwards by becoming Jewish. We need to be going forwards and helping people follow Jesus. And that needs to be our fixation mm-hmm. and our focus. There's nothing wrong with those holidays. And like I said, if you're Jewish, man, celebrate that stuff. And you can see Jesus all in it. Yeah, that's really cool. I've always wondered why you've said that because, I mean, you've talked about this since even before, like a year and a half ago when we were going through some of the Luke stuff and people were asking questions about Jewish traditions. And you've said, you know, if you're a Jew, stay and participate. I've always kind of wondered about that. But as you're explaining it right now, I was just thinking, you know, the three of us, we have friends who are working amongst Muslims and, you know, they participate in many of the feasts and religious celebrations, not for their own spiritual benefit, but so that they can try and... um, highlight the goodness of Jesus and the grace of his um, love and mercy on us in the midst of all that stuff. That makes a lot of sense yeah. to me what you're saying now. Well, let me give you another example. One of the questions I always get is why aren't there crosses all over Sandals churches? Now, let me say this. If we have a church that has a cross, that's great. But the reality is the cross has been a symbol of violence. It's been a symbol of oppression for many, many people who are of other religions. And so why would we want to put up a symbol that brings up historical persecution against those groups. We don't worship the cross. We worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. We're about Jesus. We're, we're, we're about introducing people to Jesus. And so as Christians, we get so caught up, you know, why isn't there stained glass and why isn't there a cross? It's like, we're not leading people to the cross. We're leading people to Jesus who died on the cross, but we don't even worship him because he died on the cross. Yeah, We worship That's him right. because he rose. Mm-hmm. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died on the cross. One rose from the dead. And, and his name is Jesus. And it's the resurrection that makes Jesus unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's who he is. And so again, don't quote me. I'm not anti-crosses. I'm just saying th- that symbol oftentimes prohibits as many people as it draws. It draws Christians. And if we really want a symbol, the early church symbol was a fish. Mm-hmm. And nobody complains about why isn't there any fishes <laughs> you know, on your church? That was the symbol of your faith. You were a part of you know, the ichthus, the, and that's just literally the Greek letters for Jesus, uh, the son of God, and it would be drawn inside of a fish. And so, um, you know, that was the early symbol. And so again, there's nothing wrong with a cross, but you know, you have, you know, football players and athletes who know nothing about God and they put a beautiful cross on their arm or, and, and sometimes it's a symbol of white supremacy and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, I just want to take away everything that's gonna get in the way of you coming to Jesus. And um, I mean, some of the most powerful uh, times in my life have been at a Harvest Crusade at a baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God is present and powerful. Because again, for those of you who are literally crashing your car right now, because you feel like I'm saying I'm anti-cross, the church is the ecclesia of God. It is the gathering. That is what matters to God. His people coming together. 
Okay, he, he's not interested in that cross. He's interested in the church that was redeemed because of what the cross did. And it wasn't the cross that did it. It was Jesus that did it. Mm. So we preach Christ crucified. Um, and so, you know, he died, but he rose. And, and that's what makes him so powerful and so amazing. So we just have to be so careful that we're not caught up in symbols, that we remain caught up in Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have to be caught up in him. We have to be drawn up in who he is, in the person and the work of Christ. And so, um, you know, cause Sandals Church, we spent 10 years in a gym mm-hmm. and we were the fastest growing church anywhere near us in a gym, in a smelly, stinky gym. It was disgusting. Yeah. No offense to Cal Baptist, but that's why they built a new one. You know, <laughs> it just wasn't, and, and, and people got that. And so now there's kind of some people that are late to the party and they're like, you know, why didn't you put up a cross? And I'm not saying we might not, you know, but if we ever put a cross outside the Hunter Park campus, it'll probably be a cell tower that somebody's paying us money, you know? Um, so I just think that it's important that you don't do anything. I mean, think about, the, you know, the commandments. The commandments are don't worship any other God but God. And the second commandment is don't make any idols. Mm-hmm. Don't. And, uh, you know, you had a couple of weeks ago, a guy wanted you to bless and pray over his cross. Uh-huh. Buddy, there's no power in that metal. Mm-hmm. There's power in the name and person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. So we got to be really, really careful that we don't get fixated and wrapped up in symbols. Don't settle for the symbol. Make sure you're focused on the Savior. Mm. Oh, that was, that okay, was a tweetable now. moment. Yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah. All right. So in light of this, then, what in what way should the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus change the way we celebrate Christmas? Wow. In what way should the birth, re- man? So we made this decision, and every family has to come to their own conclusion. You know. Um, so uh, I'll be really, really careful because I know sometimes kids are listening, but we made sure that the focus of our Christmas was all about Jesus. So all the ornaments on our tree, mm-hmm. and, you know, and some people don't believe in trees. We, we have a tree. Mm-hmm. Every ornament we have is about Jesus. It's about the angel. We have crosses on our tree. Yeah, we, because, have a, we, we put a cross on the top of our yeah, tree. Yeah, nobody in my household is offended by that cross. You know, <laughs> they, So again, um, but you know, I have neighbors that are Muslims. I have neighbors that are Hindus mm-hmm. and those cro- the cross symbolizes yeah. different things for them. And totally. so- I need to remember that as I'm trying to lead them to Jesus so, so that they can ultimately pick up their cross, which mm. is the symbol of them dying. They don't mm. have to pick up a little cross. So <laughs> I, I think that society is um, constantly trying to take your attention off God and off Jesus. And what you need to do is work diligently to make sure that you remember that Christmas is all about God showing up to save us when there was no other way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Jesus did what he did that he came, he took on the form of a servant, a slave actually is what Philippians chapter two says. And he became a human being and he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And because of what Jesus Christ did, God raised him up uh, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow both in heaven and on earth and in all creation. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we need to do. And so um, just really, really encourage, you know, your family and, and, and for you personally, that it's about Jesus. And, um, and I think that that's easy to do, man. You know, we were talking about, we went to Disneyland yesterday and we did uh, the ride Soarin'. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most worshipful things I've done in a while. Mm-hmm. I, I literally was at a ride at Disneyland. I was in tears at the greatness and glory of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could not, I could not believe what I was seeing in the Matterhorn. I just could not believe. I mean, it looks like it's fake, mm-hmm. but God made it. And I, oh my gosh, if you haven't done that ride, do it. And I, I literally was in tears, not because of Disneyland. Mm-hmm. All Disneyland did was capture on video in a way that does slight justice yeah. <laughs> to the creation. Because the only other way that they're getting me to do that is strapping me to the bottom of an airplane and flying yeah, me over the top. <laughs> and that's not happening. I'm not doing that. So, you know, I get to see what maybe a few human beings have seen and what God has seen for all, you know, creation since he made that. And mm-hmm. Man, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just incredible. Um, you know, uh, flying over elephants in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. I just like, God, it's so great. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, make Christmas just reflect in, in your life, his greatness and his goodness. And uh, so the danger of the manger is making Jesus small. That's the danger. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you understand that what's in that baby is, is the word, the logos, the creator became a creature. That's what Christmas is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think about that. The creator became a creature. He subjected himself to the own rules and laws of his creation mm-hmm. so that he could save what was always his. 
And that's what a lot of you people don't know. You know, I, man, I got this great Instagram uh, quote today. And he said, I've been an atheist for 20 years, but my, my girlfriend, I think that's what GF means. So bringing me to Sandals Church and I'm changing my view on God. And I just thought, oh my gosh. And I texted him, I said, that's what Sandals is for. Sandals mm-hmm. exists, mm-hmm. not for people who need the symbol of the cross, but people who need to be led gently to the cross. That's what we wanna do. We wanna gently <clears throat> lead them. And I was so, I just was so grateful mm-hmm. for Sandals Church because that guy, an atheist for 20 years, mm-hmm. he's attending our Montclair pop-up site. Love it. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and there's no crosses there. They're in a business <laughs> with, a, with a TV screen, mm-hmm. with right. a TV screen. And we're trying to gently draw him to introduce him to the word of life, to the very eternal one, to mm-hmm. the unmoved mover. I mean, um, and, that, and that's the power. So try to figure out how not to let Christmas drown out the person of who Christ really is. Yeah. I want to do a series called Noise and just how there's so much noise in our world, how we just need to get quiet and get still so we can hear God speak um, and uh, learn to eliminate the distractions. Mm-hmm. Because you know some of us are flying through life and we've, ne- we've never found God because we're just distracted by all the noise. So um, great question. I-, I would say every single family needs to figure out what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be a Bible story, but you, know, you-, you can just read it and make it a part. That's what we did. We had each of... Every year, one of our kids read it, so we rotated. Oh yeah, so that they could participate and, and be a part of it, and um, and that was awesome. Yeah, we do the Advent, and this week we're lighting the second candle. I love that you talked about as we get closer to Christmas. It's a reminder that Jesus is coming closer and closer. It's so cool to have that visual thing going during the month of December. And you know, when I when I married Lindy in in started participating in her family's traditions. I hated it at first that uh, we would have this Christmas breakfast with her family. And then before we go to the gifts and the presents and stuff, her mother-in-law would have me read the the Luke 2 Bible story yeah. or whatever. But now it's my absolute favorite part of Christmas. I, mm-hmm. We read it and the, all the kids put on like scarves and stuff and they mm-hmm. act it out and they play the different oh, roles. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is hands down my favorite part of Christmas every single year. Um, and I, I really hated it at first, but it's it's just such a good thing to, mm. this is what it's about and the kids. Maybe like the Grinch, your heart is growing. Mm. Yeah. You know what? Boom. That's going to be awesome. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay. You are wearing green. I know. You're very Christmassy today. <laughs> I'm like, I'm literally the anti-Grinch. I love Christmas so much. I, you know what? I, I'm like the Grinch about that little girl from Despicable Me and, or no, I'm, I am to Christmas. Like that girl from Des- Despicable Me is to unicorns. It's so fluffy I could die. You know that girl? No. You never seen Despicable Me yes. at all? The minions? I read the Bible. I'm just going to send you this one little YouTube clip. Okay. Brett writes in and says, hey, Pastor Matt and the debrief crew. Hi. 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 I'd like to read Luke's gospel. Leading- I just gave a shaka. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I like to read the Luke. This is Brett. I like to read Luke's gospel leading up to Christmas because it has a story of Christmas in it. It is also one of the few places I know about that the Bible talks about Jesus's early life. Luke talks about Jesus spending time in the temple as a 12 year old boy, listening to the religious teachers and asking them questions. At this time in his life, did Jesus know he was God? Did he always have the full attributes of God and a knowledge of his future as the savior of the world, even as a child or as a baby in the manger? Yeah, so let me say this, that uh, the story of Christmas is also recorded in Matthew 2. So it's not just in Luke. Mm -hmm. So it's in Luke and Matthew. So Mark starts with John the Baptist. Jesus starts from the beginning of time. (laughs) So so just know that it's both in Matthew and Luke. So if you want to read that, really, you got to be careful about Matthew because Matthew gets a little dark because Herod kills all the kids. Mm, That's a little dark for Christmas. We don't act that part out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The kids slaughtering the young ones. (laughs) Um, yeah, a lot of Bible stories are, it's always trips me out when parents decorate their kids, like with Noah, <laughs> this is how God killed everyone on earth. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a Look great. Look at all these animals. Yeah. Yeah. The only ones <laughs> throw feces around this yeah. room in the future. It'll be just like the ark. Oh, dude. Yeah. So <laughs> just prepare Listen Stephanie parents, for her future you know, Be baby. careful. You know, you wouldn't do David and Bathsheba in your kid's bedroom. <laughs> so, uh, this is how you were made. <laughs> Wait, at, this time, did, at this time, did Jesus know he was God as a kid? Did he always have the full attributes of God and the knowledge of his future as a savior of the world, even as a child or a baby in the manger? Yeah, so he, he definitely was unique. So we know that because his DNA comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a combination of the Holy Spirit and Mary. So, somehow, you know, he doesn't come from his father, Joseph. So there's definitely something unique about him. But the Bible says, and, and here's the thing that was hotly debated. Nowadays, you know, um, like Jehovah Witnesses debate, you know, is he fully God? That was never the question. The question was, as God, was he ever human? Mm-hmm. So that, that was the first debate early on is, is how could he be both? 
And so they had no problem accepting him as God. They had a problem accepting him as fully human. So Jesus fully subjected himself to a um, human being's experience. And so like, for example, think of it this way. I always think of it like a, a sack race. Did you guys ever do those? Three-legged foot race? Three-legged foot race. Yeah, so yeah. you get two people in a sack and you, and you kind of mm-hmm. go. And so it doesn't matter how fast one person can run. You can only go as fast as the slowest person. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, the human being is the slowest person. So at whatever rate hum, human capacity could possibly absorb God, mm-hmm. that's the rate at which Jesus moved. But he had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to you know hold splatter. He had to learn to do all mm-hmm. of those things that a normal child would do. You know, he was hungry, he was tired. I mean, you read that in the Bible. He walked all day in the sun, he was hot and he was tired. Yeah. He was exhausted, he was emotional. Jesus, uh, Hebrews says, was tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. So the extraordinary thing about Jesus is that he was both fully human being and did not sin. So I think that he grew in his relationship with God and his self-understanding just like we do. Now he was extraordinary and obviously by the age of 12, yeah. he is literally uh, blowing the minds off the leading minds of the time at the footsteps of the temple. I mean, they can't believe how smart this kid is. So I've always wondered, do you think in that moment, are, are they just impressed with his his knowledge of the scriptures or do you, is it about him interpreting them and, and explaining them or Yeah, anything? Luke doesn't really give us a, a big picture other than that they're confounded by uh-huh. him and they're and they're mesmerized by him. So I think, you know, there's a couple things that are happening. Number one, he's young. Mm-hmm. Number two, he's not being formally trained. So he's from a poor family gotcha. and he's from Nazareth. So there's not a leading school or synagogue, you know, just like you send, nowadays you send your kids if you can and you have the right pedigree and the right history to Harvard, Yale, whatever, to right. perpetuate your family's you know, uh, wealth and power and prestige. Jesus doesn't come from any of those lines. So he is, you know, his family is not uber wealthy and they're living in Nazareth, which was a very, very small town. And Joseph was probably a masonry worker, a stone, you know, mm-hmm. like a, think about our guys that, you know, do the streets. I mean, he works with stone and cement and those kind of things. So yeah. um, he's just, he's just wowing them. And so we, we don't know to what level. Um, we, we know that his parents are confused by his behavior. Yeah. So I think that, you know, he's a teenager at, at that point. And so he's, you know, his answer isn't the best. It's not sinful, but it wasn't, you know, didn't you know? Mm-hmm. She probably could have led with, I'm sorry, mom, <laughs> dad. Um, you know, so there's some confusion there. Um, and he, you know, he was subject to, to that life and that choice. His siblings didn't know. And apparently Mary at some point forgot. Because in the gospels, she wants him to stop mm-hmm. doing what he's doing. And she tries to prevent him and keep him from doing those things. Now, towards the end of the ministry, she seems to be on board. And then ultimately church history teaches us that she acknowledged him as the Christ and his mm-hmm. little brother, James, um, becomes one of the leaders, right. uh, if not the leader in the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So family came late to the party. Mm-hmm. So I think that Jesus, you know, probably annoyed his brothers and sisters, just like brothers and sisters do. And part of what made him annoying was his uniqueness and his specialty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but we, we just don't know. So. Okay. So for the last few questions we have for this episode, we're going to make a little bit of a shift because we know that for many people, the holidays can be pretty tough. So what are some ways that we can help or maybe encourage those who are having a hard time this Christmas? Yeah. Again, make it as much about God as possible. So depression is the result of self uh, fixation. Mm-hmm. Not always, but often. So when we're depressed, right, we're thinking about ourselves, our pain, our suffering, our loss. And one of the ways to change how you feel is to change the focus of what you're focused on. And that's to focus on Christ and who he is and what happened and how amazing that is what God did. And so if you can alter your worship during the Christmas season, I think that can really, really help. And also alter your expectations. I mean, Christmas didn't go well for you know, uh, Mary and Joseph it was difficult. It was brutal. Mary's, you know, pregnant and uncomfortable and ready to pop. And here they are traveling and she's not in a car. She's on a donkey. I mean, can I just can't even imagine what that would be like and what a woman would have to endure traveling during that time of pregnancy. Then you get there and because you're not an influential or powerful family that with connections, there's not somebody waiting for you uh, with a pre, you know, a prepared room and a place for you to arrive. So the whole thing is difficult. And ultimately Jesus is born in a cave. I mean, I've been to the cave where they claim that he was born. I wouldn't want any of my kids to be born in there. And that's where the son of God was born. So just really, really pay attention to the Christmas season, be thankful for who God is and be thankful for what God is doing throughout that process. Now, 
And, and also know this, that this little baby is going to make all things right. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to, to deal with death. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with all evil. He's going to win all over all of those issues. And just, you know, have hope in that, that one day I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to be sad because I have repented of my sins and placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and life will get better. We have hope. We have hope that God is going to make all things right. And so I just would encourage you to focus on that. Now, having said that, some of us need to go do some work. We need to heal. And, um, you know, we need to work through our wounds. We need to work through our sins. So sin involves confession. Wounds involve sharing. So, right. Mm -hmm. So confession, I confess my sins to you. I'm admitting I've done wrong. Wounds, I just need to share my story and invite other healers to come into it and hear my story and, and, and walk alongside me so that I can share, look, this is what happened to me, but this story does not define me. Yes. So, um, you know, let, let Jesus define you. And so we've all gone through heartache and hardships. And some of you, you know, um, this might be your last Christmas with loved ones who won't be there. So really, really focus in on that and, and enjoy it and celebrate it. And, and you know, um, just, just embrace it for what it is. And, um, you know, don't miss what we're doing on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. which unfortunately I'm going to miss, but it's going to be awesome. Tune in life. It's going to be yeah. so great. Are you going to be in the manger again? I think that will Please. bring joy to all depressed people mm-hmm. on earth. We're thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe maybe at the beginning. I'm going to have to pop out that manger though for... That manger won't make it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, full disclosure, it's already broken. Yeah, so. that's what I thought. <laughs> that's, that happened. Yeah, but don't be afraid if you're a Christian to come in for soul care. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to admit that you're not okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's what's important. And mm-hmm. come on into the church and mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, we, we have people here that can help you and you might need some counseling and, and that's okay. You might need to see a psychiatrist. That's okay. There's mm-hmm. no shame in that. Like if you have a broken leg, you don't need to be ashamed that you have to have a cast. Yeah. So so speaking of what's okay for Christians, here's, a, here's our next question. As a Christian, is it okay to let people go in your life, even if they're family or close friends? What do you do when you have to see them in community events or family events? Usually I just say hello and that's it. But at family events, it's harder. I actually stopped going to family events. So I don't have to see a particular person. What should I do? Yeah, first thing I would do is read the book by Cloud and Townsend called Boundaries. Boundaries. That's where I would start. Anytime mm-hmm. you have an issue with uh, someone that you can't get away out from, and that's usually family, you need to read the book Boundaries so that you can establish healthy boundaries. Jesus had he- healthy boundaries. Sometimes he sent people away. Sometimes yeah. he just walked away. <laughs> so like, and they didn't, the disciples didn't know where he was going. So, so healthy boundaries starts with a healthy you. So you have to get healthy and understand what's going on in your life. I would encourage you to never throw away relationships quickly. I think we need to work mm-hmm. through that. We need to process that. You know, I think it's really, really important to not throw away relationships because we live in a culture that does that. But sometimes people are just toxic. Yeah. Uh, they're just awful. Sometimes people are evil. And the best way to love them is from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he doesn't like mean love them. He means wish them well. Mm-hmm. You don't wish evil or harm or bad towards them. You just... You, you want what you what you would want for all people. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I want the best for Stephanie, even though she's my enemy. Yeah, apparently. No, you're not my enemy. To me. Mm-hmm. So I try and keep the table distance between us at all times. I understand. But like, for example, I mean, if somebody's abused you, like yeah. in some families, there's a, there's a, a sexual abuser or a physical abuser right. and some family chooses to stay in relationship. And like a lot of our families, we just sweep things under the rug. Mm-hmm. So nobody actually deals with it. Then yeah, of course you probably need to not be a part of that. And that's painful because really what happens is you're abused twice. You're abused by the person who did the abuse. Then you're abused by your family members that don't believe you, that don't support you right. or don't want to deal with the issue. And, um, and, and that's, 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 that's a double whammy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and again, that's why we have the gift of spiritual family um, because we're commanded to love you and to listen to you <laughs> and to come alongside you because we are spiritual family forever. And that's the beauty of the church is that we have these relationships that we get to be a part of because we get to be a part of Jesus. And again, you know, a lot of Christians say, well, I just need Jesus, but Jesus thinks you need his family. And you need to know that. And so it always amazes me that people who claim to need Jesus so much don't seem to need his instructions Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he says, and again, in the gospel of John, John is all about love one another. John is the only gospel where really the Lord's prayer in John is help them to be one as you and I are one. Yeah, John 17. Yeah. So um, Jesus is concerned about our relationships. Um, and, And the beautiful thing in the church is we're going to operate according to guidelines of scripture. Most of our families do not do that. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can't open up your Bible and say, well, here's what the scripture says in most of our families. You can do that at church. Mm-hmm. Like we we submit to what the word of God says. And ultimately mm-hmm. when God speaks, we shut up. So that's the beauty of the family of God is we actually have a father who doesn't budge and he always does what's right. What we do is we need to not budge on what he said and we need to do, we need to be obedient to what he said. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I would say that, you know, and again, you haven't given me a lot of details to what's happened uh, to you and your family and that's fine. If there's abuse, th- there are reasons to to not go to family events. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and I have given uh, people permission. And I mean, I've even seen instances where you know the husband's been abusive to the wife, and the wife's family sided with the husband. You know, he's been physically. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I mean, well, all, our families are broken. That's why we need God. We're broken relationally, mm-hmm. and even the best families struggle with this. And so, um, again, get a counselor. I think get into soul care. Get in a community group where people can get to know you and understand if you're a person that just runs from relationships. Mm-hmm. That's why you need to stay committed to a, a, a group that knows you over time. Is this your pattern? Is this what you always do? Because if if you don't allow people in your life, you're never gonna be able to change your life. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. So you have to let people in so you can change. Otherwise, many of us run away from healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do from relationship to relationship, from church to church, from job to job. And we're running away from the hard work of what it takes to fix the problem. And um, so. Boom. So Matt actually sent in a question that came up in his community group. And they were asking, how do you know if you've truly forgiven someone when you continue to feel the hurt when you see or interact with them? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. And, um, you know, it, it depends on the level of the wound. I always, you know, we always need to be careful when we judge other people's processing uh, in in their their journey of forgiveness. Because people who haven't been really hurt are quick to challenge people to forgive. Mm. People who've been deeply wounded. And so you just need to ask yourself, if you're one of those people that's running around demanding instantaneous level of forgiveness, you probably haven't been hurt all that bad. You need to give people time. And so here's what I look for. I look for the heart. Are you willing to work towards forgiveness? Are, are, are you willing to work towards that? And then what does that look like? Some of our personalities, you know, um, we don't roll out the red carpet when it comes to forgiveness. We just don't. You know, we don't have a big welcome mat that says, I'm here to forgive all who've offended me. Some of us like to be offended. We like to be hurt. We like to be wounded. We like to be the victim. We, we live in a victim culture. We love to be, our culture loves to blame everybody else. So some of us don't want to get well. Remember when Jesus goes to Bethsaida? Uh, Bethesda, yes, that's not right. I think it's Bethsaida. Bethsaida, yeah. Bethsaida, the, the uh, pool <clears throat> in Jerusalem. He says, do you want to get well? Why would he ask that? Because some people just like to sit by the pool and moan for 30 years. Mm. That's their identity. <laughs> Debbie Downer. Yeah. So he's saying, do you want to get well? And so we need to, we need, we need to be able to flesh out, do I, am I open to forgiveness if it, and I've just learned to be so careful to say, I would never be friends with them again, or mm. I would never do this, or I would never do that. Mm-hmm. What I say now is, because there've been some people that have hurt me extraordinarily. I've been stabbed in the back many, many times. I say things like this, it would take an extraordinary act of God to restore that friendship. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm open to it. I'm, why, why wouldn't I be open to an extraordinary act of God? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I wanna be open to that, but without the, the miraculous hand of Jesus involved in that relationship, we're, we're not going to connect. We're not going to heal. We're not going to get better because you know, there's, there are two different things. I feel like we talk about this kind of every four or five weeks. There's a difference between forgiving someone for the wound and reconciling a relationship. Mm -hmm. So forgiveness for the wound is saying, God, I'm going to release this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to release this hurt, this pain, and I'm going to entrust God to you. You judge whatever way you, that you, that you think is right. I'm going to entrust that to you. And I'm going to be free from having to be the police officer or the umpire or the judge that monitors the behavior of everybody. Cause that's why so many people are miserable. They're miserable because they, 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 they need everybody else to get it perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're miserable. Because guess what? It, it's never going to be perfect. It's like when you go to football games and people get mad when refs blow it. This is always going to happen. <laughs> it's not a perfect system. Yeah. Um, you know, human beings make mistakes. Even well-trained, well-meaning human beings make mistakes. So I think we all are commanded to forgive. Say, God, I'm going to entrust this anger, this hurt, this pain to you, and I want you to heal my heart. You don't, however, need to be in, in relationship, which is reconciliation with that person. Mm-hmm. Like if your spouse is a serial cheater, 
you can forgive them and get divorced. Mm-hmm. You don't have to reconcile, but you need to forgive them and say, ultimately, God, I want you to do a work in their heart. I want my spouse to become a faithful person. I want them to not be a sex addict. I want them to be able to function in a healthy, committed relationship for their own soul and the souls of our kids and the souls of their friendships because sin in anyone doesn't just affect them. It affects everyone around them. I mean, that's the argument you always have to have with your kids. Immature humans think that what they do is only about them. Mature humans understand that what they do affects everybody else. Um, I don't just do as the head of my household, whatever I want, because what I do affects my wife. It affects my kids. It affects my church. It affects my community. It affects my faith. It, right? I mean, my life impacts, it's huge who it impacts. And so I have to be aware of that. And so um, what I then have to do is deal with my heart. Why do I want to do that? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, have to, I have to tackle what's going on in my life. So I would say, be quick to forgive judgment. Give judgment to God. I'm, I am not going to judge you. I'm going to let God judge you. And that doesn't mean that you don't say it didn't hurt you that it wasn't awful, it wasn't ugly. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, in cases of crimes, we need to be verbal about that. Like, right. like if somebody sexually abuses you, you need to not keep that to yourself. We need to talk to the police about that. You need to come talk to the church because they've already wounded you. We don't want them to hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. So we need, to, we need to intervene and we need to be aware. And again, that's not gossip or slander. If I come to you and I say, hey, Justin, you're about ready to marry this person or you're about ready to get into business with this person. And, and here was my experience. I've forgiven them. I wish them well, but I want you to know, um, be careful, mm-hmm. be careful. And I always say this, this is what I always say. And you are free to tell them everything I've said. I can't tell you how many times I say, nothing I'm sharing is in confidence. Because when it needs to be in confidence, <laughs> it's usually slander. Mm-hmm. It's usually gossip. And I, and I tell them, I think you've heard me say this, mm-hmm. nothing in my conversation is confidential. Everything I've said, I'm willing to say because um, you know, I've worked through them. I, I've worked through them. I've forgiven them, whatever. However, maybe they haven't grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they have, I, you know, I don't know. So reconciliation then involves them coming back and saying, hey, I really hurt you. Mm-hmm. I did this. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. How can I make this right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and reconciliation is not general apologies. <laughs> Reconciliation is specific and, and, and you see that the person holds the pain. Mm. So we talked about, uh, I was talking with the, uh, actually an employee at church about why it was so hard for them to confess to me and not to God. Mm-hmm. Because when you confess to God, you don't see the pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you confess to another person, you, you see the pain, you see the hurt. And so reconciliation involves going back and saying, I'm sorry I did this. That was wrong. If you can, sometimes you will cause more damage if you go back to the victim and you try to make it right. So you, you, have, to, you have to use discretion there and, and have counsel. Because um, sometimes going back can send people completely back into a spiral of pain and suffering because of some things that you've done or didn't do. Mm-hmm. So you know, be very, very careful about that. But reconciliation is, is a right relationship requires reconciliation. So how are we reconciled with God? We say, God, I have sinned against you and I repent of that sin and I ask you to forgive me in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's reconciliation. So, um, you know, so, you know, like, let's say I, I cheated on Tammy. I don't just say, I'm sorry for everything I did. I say, I'm sorry that I committed adultery against you. That was a sin against you and against God. Mm. Please forgive me. And oh, by the way, if we're gonna remain in a relationship, which I didn't cheat, but if we're gonna remain in a relationship I'm gonna to commit to you. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry for what I did. It's saying that's not gonna happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Repentance is turning away. Mm-hmm. So, um, and oftentimes when people say they can't stop, what that means is they're not ready to repent. Mm. They, they've not gotten to the place where they're, they hate what they do. So, um, and ultimately God hates what you do because of what it does to you. He doesn't hate you. Mm. Sin destroys you. Jesus saves you. Mm. And, and that's the reality, so. Great questions, man. Man, speaking of uh, forgiveness, this last Sunday night or Saturday night while you were preaching at Hunter Park Campus, you know, you looked in my particular direction. You're up there on stage and I yawned. I know. Right? A lot of people were yawning on Saturday night. It was know. wounding my spirit. I want to apologize for it. I'm not truly convinced I can repent yet simply <laughs> due to 
I, you need to drink more coffee before you come to church, as okay, does every other do Saturday night attender. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely commit to that, although I can't commit yeah. to the future oxygen levels. Of In the name of Jesus, every Saturday night attender, please go to Starbucks or the depot before you come to church. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, man, there has been all kinds of holiday goodness. We're going to get to more of this over the next couple of weeks as we get to uh, continue the More Than a Manger series. Uh, but this has been a great start. I really love uh, how we're looking at Christmas this year. I'm excited about it. Yeah. And so if you want to get more from this episode, we've got the show notes at debrief.show slash 91. We'll have some of those books that we've mentioned. 91, man. I know. We are inching toward 100. We're actually mm-hmm. planning some really cool stuff for yes. that one. But that's in the new year. We'll get to that then. But we will, for now, have uh, links to those books that we talked about on the show, some of the verses that Pastor Matt mentioned, all sorts of great resources. We'll also have um, a link to get connected with Soul Care if some of that was stuff that Ooh. you realized, oh, I need to talk to the folks in Soul Care if I'm going to get through this. Yeah, business. they're amazing. They are. I think that's one of like probably the fastest growing areas in our church is our Soul Care team. Mm-hmm. They've got people at every campus. It's incredible. We'll have the link there to get connected with them if you need some help this holiday season or whenever you may be listening to this episode. We'll have that all at debrief.show slash 91. That's right. And of course, we want to invite you guys to join us as we try and launch really 500 sandals churches, but we're getting the next three out of the gate uh, as quickly as possible. You can participate by going to sandalsearch.com slash launch or text give debrief to 951-900-4120. That's a good episode. Stephanie, I was wondering, thinking though, as you got inspired by what Pastor Matt said, maybe you want to consider just exploring what it might be like to have your baby in a cave. Um, I'm going to pass, but thank you. It could be real. It's a spiritual foundation. You know, I'm gonna for let Jesus birth. be the one spiritual who did that. The birth. I don't think there are caves in Riverside. Mm. Yeah, there? sorry. I'm, we could find some. That's okay. Mm. There's a lot of mountains around here. A lot of hills. You no know, caves. So, mm. not too bad. Uh, if any police officers know about <laughs> caves located in Riverside, just reach out to me. That was creepy. <laughs> <laughs>